I, like many out there, probably enjoy a really good documentary from time to time, uh, depending on what the subject could possibly be. You know, we have a lot of documentaries out there, whether they're new or up and coming or, you know, restrictive to certain uh, streaming services. Netflix has a huge array of extremely good documentaries that's hard to find outside of Netflix. Then you have some that are kind of on, like, every platform. And between the ones that are easily accessible to people and those that are not, Shudder has two, two so far in a series of documentaries that they've been doing called In Search of Darkness. Now, because of those documentaries, which are great... Uh, however, they do take up a lot of time. Uh, in watching both of the documentaries they have out for it right now, I have discovered so many movies from uh, the 70s and the 80s in the horror genre that I hadn't really given the opportunity up until this point. And we're talking these movies are now 30, 40 years old. Or even 50 years old in some respects. So from those two films, I got two lists together. Films that I'm trying to add into my list of uh, films I have in my collection, as well as films that I want to watch. Now, they, they talk about a lot of films in these two uh, documentaries. I would say they probably talk about roughly 250 different films. You know, maybe I'm a little over-exaggerating, but let's just use that as a solid number. Out of, like, 250, I'm looking at, like... A hundred of them that was really something that I'm like, oh, you know what? That that looks pretty cool. Oh, I never heard of that one. Oh, wait, this director did this. Oh, this actor was in this. So you know what? I picked out about a, like a hundred or so, give or take, films. And this was one of them. So released in 1984, I believe, or 87. It was, it was on the mid-80s. And it's a John Carpenter film. And it was a film... That's described as being him just kind of wanting to do sort of whatever he wanted to, essentially. You know, like, it's written and directed by him, and it's during the decade that pretty much was him at his prime. You know, we're coming off of a lot of great John Carpenter movies at this point in time, and this was just another film in this array of being totally out there films with great concepts just done with very minimal budgets and probably very little hope of doing much as far as, you know, box office numbers. And I think this almost made twice, seven times its budget, something like that. Like to like anywhere between like two and seven times its budget or something like that, I believe. And what it basically is, it's a film about this so it starts off with like this preacher who passes away and leaves this key to another priest who comes to like you know see him off you know uh, unfortunately you know passed away here i am we're you know we're gonna put him to rest but he finds this key and he discovers that the key opens up this cellar in an in a, like an abandoned church and in that cellar there's this huge dome like cylinder thing it almost looks like a giant version of the ooze from the ninja turtles second live action film uh and it's swelling around and it's moving but he senses evil 
and he starts reading up on all the the doctor's notes and he finds this book that's written in like 15 different languages four of them which are like dead and the dialect is just all over the place so he goes to find this teacher of like quantum physics and science and and logic and rationality and the he instills in him like listen I have something that has substance that you could probably test and give me answers for. Please come help me. So he takes a team of his students and a bunch of other people that are specialists in like uh, language and biomechanics and things of that nature. And they all go to this church and some of them are told what's happening and some of them aren't. And then there's this kind of battle that while people are setting up and while people are running tests, there's this battle that the professor and the priest are having where there's a sense of, you know, evil in the atmosphere that the priest is trying to express. But then the professor is trying to explain that, you know, this is a, this is a substance that is, you know, of this earth. It might be causing some kind of like chemical imbalance or something. And it's this real tug of war between the idea of science and religion. And it's it it's it comes off very, very natural in, in the sense that it all sort of makes sense. And again, it's not even dialogued the best. Like the like the dialogue's great and the script is written very well. But with probably a few little tweaks, you could probably get really good like substance out of what a lot of the conversations are sort of about. You kind of just get like a bare minimum almost, but it's enough for you to kind of be intrigued and you watch it with a sense of like, oh, wow, like that's true. Like, is it chemical or is it supernatural? You know, is it something of a, a priest's nature that he would be able to fix or is it something that science can explain? And that's what I find very unique about this is because I feel like when you talk about movies in that era, a movie like this is probably very much ahead of its time when you consider that maybe there have been a couple of other films that have had, like, a tug of war with, like, the concept of science and religion. The only other film I can think of off the top of my head is a film called uh, Incarnate, uh, which came out maybe seven or eight years ago. And that's a great film where they use, like, science and psychology to break into uh, the, the, the mental state of possessed humans. So, you know, it's been used in other media, and those are the, that's just the only one example I can think of, but maybe this is the first one, and maybe this kind of set the precedent, the, the precedent for it. I don't know, I can't think of anything before this that kind of had that tug of war, or at least had that, that, that tug of war, that contraction of, of these two elements, the concept of science and religion, before this, or even around the time of this, where it presented it in a way where... Maybe it's not explained thoroughly with dialogue, but you could see, like, plain as day that that's what the battle is. Until, of course, they wind up that it actually is something supernatural-based. But along with being supernatural-based, they find, like, the science behind it, and they understand that it still is of a sentient nature, and being sentient means that it has its, its way of kind of being able to be manipulated in some way. I don't want to give too much away, even though it's a very old film and most people will probably, you know, have seen it. If not, if I've never heard of it, like I would probably say it's more, more than likely John Carpenter fans who really know this film. And if you've never heard about it, it's just it's got a, a great cast. It's got Donald Pleasance, who I hadn't seen him do much outside of 
being the the main uh, uh, psychiatry doctor in the Halloween films. It's got Victor Wong, who everybody recognizes when you see him, and he's fantastic as the professor in it. Um, who else has it got? It's got a couple of other people that weren't big at the time, but they became big, I think, moving forward. I think Lisa Plout became somebody big. I can't think of anybody else's name. Oh, here's a funny thing. So, in the film, again, they kind of come to the conclusion that it's a substance of sentient nature. And it's like green water. And what it's able to do is anybody who it comes in contact with almost directly, it kind of possesses them and takes control over them and allows it to, allows for them to do their bidding. So now, along with gradually kind of infecting some of the people who are there uh, in the, in the um, church, there's also a... a an army of homeless people that are in the surrounding area that are all like possessed by it. And one of them, I guess you could say even the leader of this little pack is Alice Cooper, the rock star. (laughs) He doesn't have any lines. He just pops up is the only full on pale face one. And it's just hilarious to see like him there, but him not be that big of a deal. Like, how do you? How is one of the three biggest names not only not have any lines, but is just kind of not even felt like? I think the movie is like ninety minutes long. He's in the film for maybe six minutes, and it's Alice Cooper. You know, I mean, the only film that I knew that he ever did was freaking Wayne's World. So it's just super funny that he's in there as a possessed homeless person. Uh, so I, I would just say that being that this film is now. 35 years old most likely it still kind of stands the test of time and it's funny to think because there are times where i'll watch films from that era and whether they're like great films or whether they're just films that have like cult followings you the time is stuck within the film and this stands out to me because i just feel like it's this story that it holds more weight it's not just old 80s horror it's old 80s horror but good storytelling too like i don't think there's much they probably could have taken away to make the film any different and the few things that i would say they could have added was just more storytelling going deeper into the science even going deeper into the religion let there be more debating between the the priest and the 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 um, uh, the, the, the the psychologist like let these two kind of go at it like they have this really good moment of dialogue where they're going back and forth and they're talking about the concept of antimatter and in this real world the real world in this realm that we have of you know three-dimensional and four-dimensional concepts you know antimatter means that when something has when something is of existence it also has an opposite existence and so he looks at him he goes well you know if this if there is meant to be some sort of religious quality to this substance to this tube then perhaps it's the concept that if it's being held over by godlike substances then perhaps this is the anti-god being that it is the negative to the positive, which is why there is this kind of evil feeling in the atmosphere, because you're dealing with something that is anti, 
you know, if, if you're if the world that they live in exists where religion is truly factual and God is of the essence and the the almighty being that creates the good of the world, then there has to be the opposite of that being the evil. And if there's God, there has to be the anti-God. And that's what he's kind of trying to explain to the priest about how this this relates to science, even though it's really, really more about the religious stuff. It's, it's, it's just very well done. And it's John Carpenter. How do you go wrong with John Carpenter? You know, this is definitely a movie that's worth sitting through again this many years after the fact. And, you know, I'm going to throw it out there. Maybe they should reboot it. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they should give it a chance where it has more dialogue and still give it that very gritty feeling of what you get from the film. If they're able to do it where it's less special effects less CGI, more dialogue, more tension, more of even keep the soundtrack. Like if there's one thing that I learned from these in this, uh, in search of darkness documentaries is that eighties horror films and seventies horror films had fantastic soundtracks and you really, you can't hold the candle to a lot of the stuff that they had back then. And maybe that's just, you know, me and my generation who really thrive off that. I know I run into people nonstop that talk about various soundtracks from that generation and they're, they're just, they're just great. And they set really good tones in films, especially horror films. So let's ditch the friggin' kalimba or whatever it is, that instrument that they've been using for like the insidious and the conjuring moves. Uh, movies and let's bring back some of these these ambient techno disco you know rhythm keyboard things and let's reboot this let's let's see this film done again in this generation let's see the script kind of bulked up a little bit and made with a little bit more explanation made with a little bit more dialogue like i would say if this was if this was written by like quentin tarantino it would have perfect dialogue but, you know, even though John Carpenter is a fantastic director and writer and one of, like, you know, the, the, the top three, I would say, in, in, like, horror movies ever, especially within the last, like, 50 years, John Carpenter's up there, it's still worth kind of giving this film another ch another chance. Either if you watch want to watch this one or if you want to be the person that does feel the way I feel and you want to see a reboot. I think a reboot of this film would be fantastic done now, done a little bit more modernized, you know, I think it would be great. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend watching it, especially with Halloween kind of right around the corner, you know, bunch of horror movies in these two documentaries that you can probably put on your list if you haven't seen them already. So you can go out and watch those and get yourself set up for the Halloween season. You know, it's already, uh, it's almost September and <laughs> October's right there. So Halloween's coming up. So it's time to Make a list of those horror movies, and this is one that's on my list, and I'm glad it's off, and I'm really, really surprised by it, and I think you would be too.